Well, good morning. <clears throat> Much of what I get to do here at the church in adult ministries is kind of behind the scenes, so uh, I don't get to be up here very often. And uh, haven't been here eight months. There's so, still so many of you that I've yet to meet, but uh, it's a great privilege to be up here. Still getting used to life in Southern California. Uh, this, these rains these past week. Uh, I come from East Tennessee, where we get 60 inches of rain a year. So you'd think you're used to this. But uh, it only takes a few months of living here to get used to, to the, the sun and the warmth and uh, the beauty of that. But there are some benefits uh, to that rain. And uh, Jeremy reminded me yesterday, when we woke up yesterday, it's like all of a sudden everything's in HD. Just clear and crisp. And my two daughters woke up and, and ran into our bedroom and said, Mom, Dad, you've got to come out and look. And uh, out the front of our house, we can see the mountains. And it was just an amazing sight. Uh, with the snow on top. And you, you have to realize, I'm a guy who grew up in Kansas. Okay, So in the afternoon, I'm out there in, in shirt sleeves. I'm looking through palm trees at mountains with snow on them. <laughs> and it's no wonder people all over the country think we're crazy out here, because that doesn't make sense. But it's beautiful. Well, today we want to continue our study of beginnings. And on the very first pages of your Bible, in Genesis 1-3, to we're provided with Scripture's essential teaching about the ultimate issues of our existence. Who is God? What is He like? Who are we? Why are we here? What has gone wrong with a world God has declared very good These are the most foundational matters of life, and they give us the basis for everything else we learn in the Bible. So we're beginning our year looking at beginnings. As we've already mentioned, we also have a privilege today of celebrating the baptism of one of our church family. Let me open with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you this morning in humility as our creator, as the sustainer and giver of life, We ask that you would open our eyes, shine your light into our darkness. By your word and your spirit, bring life to us today. Break through the hardness of our hearts. Help us to believe. Give us faith to embrace the truth of your words. Amen. The life you were made for. These past two weeks, uh, we've had some pretty amazing truths laid out on the table before us. An introduction to God, an introduction to us. I hope you heard those messages. To me, it felt like one of those uh, holiday dinners where there was just way too much food to be able to enjoy it all. And so today, I want us to sit back down at that table before we move too much further to savor some of these truths, to take some time to reflect and appreciate some of this wonderful food we've been given. And I want to begin by reiterating something Pastor Waybright said two weeks ago about why people struggle so much with Genesis chapter 1. People do not like a world that begins with the voice of a sovereign God speaking into the darkness. Because a God who commanded the light to shine is a God who will command us too. And a God who can distinguish the good from the evil in creation 
can evaluate us too. And let's face it, we don't want to be commanded or evaluated. But I hope that you're hearing this message. Life to the full, as it was meant to be lived, is not doing whatever we want. Rather, we are fully human when we do what God made us to do. Because we bear His image. We're made to be like Him. And as we looked at last week, that means being in right relationships. Right relationship with creation. Right relationship with God. And a right relationship with people. But as we see in Genesis chapter 3, something happened. And, And we read in John 1 that Jesus who's the maker of all things, the Word of God who spoke creation into being, He became flesh and He dwelt among us to seek and to save that which was lost in Genesis chapter 3. This is the recreating work that Jesus does in our lives and He talks about in John chapter 10. And I put it up here on the screen for you. In this passage... Jesus is telling us something more about the life that we were made for. He's saying, listen to me, in this fallen world, there are thieves. And they may fool you. They're doing it for themselves. But I am not a thief who has come to steal, to kill, and destroy your life. I have come to remake you so that you can have life to the full. And as we'll learn learn more about next week, we now live in this fallen world and this life to the full that Jesus talks about has become elusive. The life you were made for has been frustrated in the fall, but it is not destroyed. Man struggles now to be fully alive. People who were created in the image of God in a world that was very good We now find ourselves in a world that is distorted. It's frustrated. It's subject to death. Think about it. Life to the full. What does that look like? Deep inside, something is calling out to us. It speaks of adventure, mystery, something great. It begs the question, what on earth Am I here for? Irenaeus, a second century pastor, stated it another way. The glory of God is man fully alive. Life to the full. We're drawn to it. It's it's why we love stories like the Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Ring, even, even movies like Avatar. There's something deeply human about this longing But we don't quite know what it is. Because unfortunately, in a fallen world, life to the full has become elusive. How did it happen? You know, we start out life so full of dreams and hopes. As a child, the future is ours. If you find a healthy child, you'll find someone who's full of energy and enthusiasm for life. They have great dreams for their future. Think back to when you were a kid. 
What did you want to be when you grew up? An astronaut, firefighter, a soldier, teacher, race car driver, movie star, doctor, the president? You know, not many young people dream of being mediocre, not doing anything significant, of not being remembered. It's because God made us to dream, to be like Him and to experience life as it was meant to be lived. Imagine a young boy who once had so much hope, so many dreams, but over the years has been beaten down by the pressures, the struggles, the demands of life to perform, to compare, to survive. And that struggle looks different in different places and times, but today and here that that struggle for this boy looks like school, sports, a job, a family, paying the bills, involvement at church, kids' education, disasters, discrimination, economic and political upheaval, change, change, and more change. The demands of life eventually overwhelmed him like a tsunami. The boy's grown up now. He's 30. 35, 40, and the dream has been dead for some time. You might feel like that man. Dead at 30, buried at 70. That's not what we were made for. But how did he get here? The years of pain, disillusionment, and frustration of life in a fallen world have slowly but surely eroded his idea of life to the full. And now his only dream is to retire someday. Play it safe. Hope for something better for his grandkids. His life is much like everyone else's. Yeah, mediocre would pretty much sum it up. And his only adventure in life is lived vicariously through sports figures, through TV shows, through movie heroes, through pornography, through video games. Relationally, he's isolated. His spirit has been tamed. And the image of God is barely visible. Life to the full? More like hardly living. We all know it shouldn't be that way. But there's a huge disconnect right now, not only in our culture where you would expect this, but also in our churches. We're not immune. I see it all the time. People do not know the answers to life's most important questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I going with? I call these life's big, hairy questions. It's the question Rick Warren asked in The Purpose Driven Life. What on earth am I here for? It's the question all of us have to have an answer for. As Leo Tolstoy discovered in this quote, My question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions. 
lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. It was, what will come of what I'm doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? Life to the full. Being fully alive is why Jesus came. And it's important for us to look at this now because the answer to life's big hairy questions are rooted in our understanding of beginnings. Life to the full was lost in the fall and Jesus came to restore it. It's the life you were made for and it's restored in redemption. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. When Jesus saved you, it wasn't just to snatch you out of hell and reserve a place for you in heaven. He saved you so that you might have life. Life as it was meant for you. Now please listen to this. I'm going to ask you, just put aside for this moment any skepticism that life in a fallen world has beaten into you. There is hope for life to the full as the children of God that salvation brings. I'd like for us to stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. Do you know who you are? You are a son of God. You are God's children. Do you know why you are here? You are a co-heir with Christ. You will rule with Him just as we were intended to rule in Genesis chapter 1. And as His image bearer, He has now commissioned you 
and put you in this world to represent Him now. Somehow we have a hard time believing this. We've heard it, but we don't fully embrace it or understand it. It's like the four children in the classic book by C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. These children stumble into another world called Narnia. And they discover that this world has been waiting for them. It's been looking for them to come and take their place on the thrones at Caer Paravel. If you've read the book or you've seen the movie, you know that these four children are reluctant to accept this responsibility. They're reluctant to accept this identity. They're handed weapons to fight the evil witch. And all they want to do is go home. They don't want to be kings and queens. They're school children. In many ways, we're the same. We're told we are the children of God. We've been given the weapons of war to fight evil forces. We are told we will reign with God. We are to rule creation like God, but we're reluctant to believe it. We, we don't want to fully embrace it. We've settled for so much less. But the world is waiting for us. Don't you see it? All creation is looking for our return. This is part of where you are going. Look at Romans 8, verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for what? For the sons of God to be revealed. In verse 21, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of what? The children of God. How would you react if I came up and I greeted you as king or queen? King John. Queen Wilma. King Jeremy. I have a feeling that makes you feel a little uncomfortable. And why is that? Well, perhaps our concept of a king... What it means to rule has been tainted. It's been eroded by life in a fallen world. There's too many examples of abuse, of oppression, excess privilege, domineering. Perhaps our concept has been trivialized or made comical by Hollywood, by Burger King commercials. Kings are funny people. We laugh at them. Perhaps we've been so blinded by the fall that we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten why we're here. That we are to rule with Christ as His image bearers. We need to redefine what it means to rule, to have dominion. To have dominion over creation means that we serve, we bless, we protect, we empower, and we care for that which has been entrusted to us. Don't you see, this is the image of God in man that we see when we want to rush to the aid of those in Haiti. 
We want to rescue those who are mistreated in Cambodia. When we want to do something about cleaning up our environment. We do that because we are made in the image of God. And we're made to rule, to, to serve, to bless, to protect, to empower and care for that which has been created. You were made for so much more. Don't settle for less. Don't let the years of pain, disillusionment, and frustration of life in a fallen world erode your idea of life to the full. There's a living illustration of this recently in my life. And um, for those of you who don't know, believe it or not, a year ago, this time, I was working as a general contractor uh, developing real estate in East Tennessee. I wore a tool belt, work boots, drove a pickup truck, and uh, loved it. And a few years back, I began a project with some friends. We were developing, uh, building some homes on about 160 acres north of Knoxville. And it's beautiful hill country, reminds me a lot of Hungary, where we had served as missionaries. And one of my friends, Dave, has a golden retriever named Sandy. And if you have a dog, you can probably relate to this. But if you went to Dave's house before he moved, he had a, a small house, little subdivision, little lot. And you'd find Sandy to be this nice, clean house dog. And Sandy would sit at your feet, make you feel cozy. She'd go out in her little backyard, sniff around, do her business, and then hurry back in the house where there was a nice bowl of food and a bowl of water and a cozy bean bag to rest on. It was a tame and pleasant life for Sandy. But as we began working out on this land, I met a different dog. As, as they would drive up onto the land, Sandy in the car would start to rumble. And as soon as the door of the minivan was opened, it was like an explosion happened. And this dog was out like a kid in a candy store. Uh, she would make a beeline for the creek, jump in, get all wet, chase anything she could find. She'd come back an hour later, wet, dirty, out of breath, and happy as could be. What was going on? I think what we discovered was that's what God made Sandy to do. She was meant to be outside, staking out her territory, doing the job of a retriever, retrieving birds, not the morning paper. But somehow Sandy had been tamed to live a neat and clean suburban life. I know a lot of people like Sandy. We were meant for so much more, but we've been tamed. Life in a fallen world has eroded our expectations and hopes for life to the full. But Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you playing it safe? Have you settled for mediocrity? You know, the oceans can be a very dangerous place. And a ship is safest when it's in port. But that's not what ships were made for. You weren't made to play it safe.
Now, I don't know about Teddy Roosevelt's theology, but I know he has inspired me since I was a young man, especially with this quote of his. He says, Far better it is to dare mighty things, win glorious triumphs, even though checkered with failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. Now you may be saying, Pastor, it's nice to say these things, but you don't know my life. You don't know how hard it is for me. I understand your skepticism. No, I don't know your life. But I know your God. And I know that He made you in His image. I know that He came to seek and to save the lost and He came to restore you so that you could have life to the full. The life you were made for. But it's important you hear this. The details of life to the full, what that will look like, how it works itself out, will be unique in your life. For six billion people, there are six billion expressions of the image of God. It's something that you need to discover as you walk by faith in a fallen world. And it's something you will discover, I believe, as you walk by faith alongside others in a real spiritual community. In many ways, you need to answer question number four before you can answer the first three questions. Who am I going with? Part of the mission of the church, uh, of meeting together like this, meeting regularly, is nothing less than helping one another come alive. We need one another. We cannot live the adventure alone and isolated. You cannot do it alone. Another major misconception in our culture is that if only I could change my circumstances, then I would have life to the full. If I could change my job, my friends, if I could change my family, if I could change my debt, my education, my house, hey, you know, if I could change those things... Maybe I'd have a chance. But don't you see, when we discover who we are, then fulfilling our destiny as the children of God is less about changing the circumstances of your life. It's more about changing how you engage with those circumstances right now. Being fully alive does not depend on your circumstances. You can do it here or you can do it in Haiti. You can do it in prosperity. You can do it in desperate poverty. You can do it in peace. You can do it in war. It does not depend on your circumstances, but it will shape how you view them and how you engage with them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a man of faith a pastor in World War II Germany who stood up to the Nazis and he paid a high price. He suffered greatly as he fulfilled his destiny as a child of God. And I'd like you to consider this perspective 
that he had on life to the full. I am discovering right up to this moment that it is only by living completely in this world that one learns to have faith. By this, I mean living unreservedly in life's duties, problems, successes, and failures, experiences, and perplexities. In so doing, we throw ourselves completely in the arms of God. So we come to baptism. How's that for a segue? (laughs) Actually, baptism is a great illustration of what we've been talking about. Throughout the history of the church, people on the pages of our New Testament, uh, you find people coming to faith in Christ, people coming to life. And one of the first things they do is make a public declaration of their allegiance and their devotion to God. In our culture, we tend to make our faith a private, individual affair. But the biblical pattern we see is that when a person makes a decision of faith, they express that faith verbally to others, and then they demonstrate that faith by being baptized publicly. They'd go to a nearby source of water, and in full public view, they would profess their faith in Christ, and they were baptized. Since the earliest days of the church, baptism has played an important role for Christians in the church. So I'd like to take a few minutes and talk about what is Christian baptism. Well, baptism is a sign. It's an important God-given way to testify to one's faith in Christ. It's a visible representation of the spiritual reality of what happened to us when we placed our faith in Christ. It's a symbolic act by which the Christian publicly identifies himself with Christ. And it's an identification with Christ in several ways. And it relates to the the big hairy questions we talked about earlier. It's a declaration of who am I? First, it's an identification with Christ and the kingdom of God. When a person is baptized, they are unashamedly proclaiming to the world that they're a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus commands us to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's this public identification with God when you're baptized, and it's an identification with the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, There's at least three aspects to this that we see in Romans chapter 6. First, it's an identification with Christ's death and burial. See, when a person is baptized and they go under the water... They are symbolically identifying with the fact that Jesus died for sin. And that as his followers, we don't need to die for our sin. Romans 6.3 says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Secondly, it's an identification with his resurrection. When you come up from the water in baptism, you're symbolizing the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ and the fact that you also have received this new life, the eternal life that Jesus gives. Romans 6, 5 says, If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him 
in his resurrection. Third, it's a baptism is an identification with Jesus as Lord. Why am I here? Where am I going? The Christian no longer runs his own life, but allows Christ to be the master. And in baptism, a person is telling the world that he has a new identity, a new master. Romans 6, 8 and 11 says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, In the early days of the church, and in many parts of the world even today, baptism was done out in a public place where everyone could see. And it could result in anything from jeering and mocking all the way to murder. In fact, it still goes on today. Uh, in many parts of the world, public water baptism is a very high price to pay to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But it's an important step to take. Secondly, not only does the person identify with Christ in baptism, but there's an identification with the people of God. The person is saying, I throw in my lot, not only with Christ, but with these people. Who am I going with this? My unexpected family. And as a result, the body of Christ, the church, has a responsibility of identifying with them. Church has a responsibility to protect, to instruct, to minister to that person. Because the Christian life cannot be lived in isolation. It must be lived in the community of the church. This life you were made for is not just about Jesus and me. It's about Jesus and we let me just clarify a few things before we come to the baptism. First, baptism is for all believers. We don't baptize infants. We do dedicate them. But there's no age restriction on when a person can be baptized. If a person is able to make a public profession of faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, we encourage them to be baptized, whatever their age. Your salvation is not contingent upon your being baptized. Salvation is by faith alone. But Jesus commands us to be baptized. It's an important step of obedience. Now, the biblical pattern is, is to be baptized right away after a profession of faith. But there's times when it's not practical, it may not be available, or for other reasons, uh, it's delayed. But let me encourage you. It's never too late. If you've not been baptized... We encourage you to take the step of faith and obedience. And we're planning a special service on Sunday, May 2nd. It's a few weeks after Easter. And I'm, I'm telling you this now because I want you to consider it. I want you to be prepared. I want you to plan. Contact Pastor Roger Bosch, May 2nd. Um, I guarantee it would be a highlight in your life. It's a wonderful way to tell Jesus you love him, to tell the world you belong to him and want to follow him for the rest of your life. So as we move to the baptism, I know that we have a video, and let's celebrate this time. My name is Pat Garcia. I became a Christian probably 50 years ago. 
and uh, but been, been going to church most of my life. Being baptized means that I'm being refreshed again in with Jesus. I love the Lord so much. I love working for him, serving him in any way that I can. I like um, being here at Lake Avenue Church. I've been going here for about 23 years now. I've only been a member since 2002, but um, I love this church very much. I love the Lord, and I just um, feel that this baptism is so important to me now that I feel like Jesus has been speaking to me and that he wants me to be baptized. Well, after hearing what uh, John has said about the, the meaning and the significance of baptism, it's a, it's a real encouragement for us uh, this morning to be able to celebrate the baptism of one of our family members. Would you welcome uh, with me Pat Garcia to this celebration this morning? Well, I, many of you uh, will recognize Pat. Uh, she's been involved in a whole variety of ministries and groups uh, over the, uh, the 23 years that she's been a part of our family, um, where she has been using uh, just wonderful gifts of uh, hospitality uh, to serve others and to make others just feel welcome uh, and loved here at Lake Avenue. Uh, presently, she's in the uh, Navigator adult class, and I'm sure they're all here uh, supporting you this morning, Pat. Uh, and as well, she's also serving uh, as an usher on Sunday morning, actually, in this service. Uh, for obvious reasons, she's not there this morning. Uh, but, Pat, we just want to thank you so much uh, for sharing with us uh, your story uh, and just to hear about your, your love for the Lord and, and your desire to follow him wholeheartedly. Uh, we, of course, as a, as a church family, are very excited about the decision that you've, you've made to take that next step uh, of faith and obedience and just to publicly profess your faith in Jesus Christ this morning through baptism. So we, we celebrate that with you, and we're excited for you. You've chosen just a, a wonderful uh, life verse uh, for your baptism, uh, Philippians 4.13. Uh, and my prayer for you, Pat, is that the Lord each day it will show you more and more about his strength and his love for you. Well, Pat, on the basis of your confession of faith, in Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's great. Now, I hope that you know this, even hearing from that testimony, this, this life that you were made for is, is more of a journey than it is a destination. Uh, it's a journey that we travel in community with others. So I'd like to leave these, these final points with you. This life that you were made for is lived out in a community of faith. We need one another. We need one another to give us a vision for life, to help answer the question, who am I? To help discover our identity, to remind us that we're made in the image of God, that we are children of God. We're co-heirs with Christ. This, this is not the message you hear in your workplace or out in your school or in your neighborhood probably. And life in a fallen world 
the struggles just tend to erase these truths from our memory. And we need one another to keep reminding us and keep speaking truth into our lives about our identity. Secondly, we need one another to give us a vision for living. Why am I here? To help us discover our purpose. To encourage one another to be like God. To reflect His image to all of creation. To be productive. To rule. To lead. To bring order to the world around us. To work and to care for everything around us. To redeem what is lost. And bring glory to God. And we need one another to give us courage to fulfill our destiny. To set the course for where I'm going and who I'm going with. Do you know you are uniquely designed by God? You're blessed by Him to be His image bearer and to be a blessing to others. You have special gifts. You have talents that God wants to use to bless others and to bring Him glory. I'm sure there are some of you here this morning who you may be hearing some of these things for the first time. Maybe you've been around church. Maybe you've been around other Christians and you've heard some of this, but it wasn't quite getting through. You know, the first step to life the way it was meant to be lived is waking up. It's coming to life. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of you here today are realizing and you're sensing the image of God inside of you is bubbling up. It's crying out for life. The life that only God can give you through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So that sin would no longer be a barrier to this life. He rose from the dead so that you could share in this life forever starting now. And all He asks is that you believe Him. That you trust Him. And that you follow Him. As Jeremy comes to lead us in a song of reflection, I want to encourage you. Remember, all of us are on a journey. Some are further along. Others are just getting started. If you realize that you're at the starting line, or perhaps you just need to get into the adventure, I encourage you to share that with someone. Don't keep it to yourself. After this song, I encourage you to come up and find one of our prayer team or one of our pastors and, and just share that desire very simply with them that you want to know God more deeply. You want to know this Savior who came to give you life to the full. And we'll pray for you to the glory of God.